Want to tap into the secret of true genius? Mastin Kip says claiming your power and knowing your purpose will do just that. Discover what Mastin did to go from bottoming out on cocaine to becoming recognized as a thought leader for the next generation by Oprah Winfrey. Why even high achievers have trouble reaching their next level and more. Mastin Kip is a two-time best-selling author and the creator of Functional Life Coaching. He specializes in a strategic no-BS approach to accelerate his clients' lives and businesses. If you would like access to the full presentation, the show notes, and the special resources for this episode, please visit ilovemarketing.com forward slash 306. That's ilovemarketing.com forward slash 306. I'm Dean Jackson. He's Joe Polish. And this is the I Love Marketing Podcast. everybody it's dean jackson and joe polish and here we are dean wow ready, back in the ready to cl- you are you are you ready to claim your power dean this is what i want to ask you <laughs> i'm excited about claiming my power because i feel powerful most days. Be, if i'm not going to claim it who is yeah well in, in just a moment everyone's going to hear because i'm going to ask him to pipe in uh our dear friend mastin kip who his brand new book is called Claim Your Power. It's called A 40-Day Journey to Dissolve the Hidden Blocks that Keep You Stuck and Finally Thrive in Your Life's Unique Purpose. And so let me, just for people that don't know who Mastin is, let me just give a real quick, uh, who is this guy? So who is Mastin Kip? He is the number one best-selling author and the creator of Functional Life Coaching, who specializes in a strategic no BS approach to accelerate his clients' lives and businesses. Mastin's been recognized by Oprah Winfrey on her Emmy Award-winning show, Super Soul Sunday, as a spiritual thinker for the next generation, which is what Oprah says about him. Uh, Mastin also appears alongside our friend Tony Robbins, and then Eckhart Tolle, uh, Deepak Chopra, Brene Brown, and many others as part of Oprah's Super Soul 100, a collection of awakened leaders who are using their voices and talent to elevate humanity. Uh, Mastin is also one of the most incredible speakers I've ever seen. Uh, He works with a lot of people that are in all stages of life and income levels, entrepreneurs to everyone in between, and is just an amazing, amazing guy. And and I must say this about Mastin, he's, uh, because I'm a little biased, because I I not only am a personal friend of his, I also know his mother, who I spent uh, nine days on a uh, a yoga retreat with our dear friend Tommy Rosen, who Mastin oh. actually introduced me to, and who me and uh, Tommy have become good friends in all the stuff that we're doing in the field of addiction, which is also a commonality that me and Mastin have, which is helping people uh, who struggle with addiction. So, with no further ado, I want to welcome to our show Mr. Mastin Kip. Mastin, how are you? Yeah, wow. Thank you, man. I don't even know what to say other than I love you, my man. And Dean, great to be here, guys. Thank you so much for having me today. Very, very grateful to be here and excited to serve. <laughs> you got it. You got it. So, you know, look, there, there's so many different uh, directions we could go with this. Uh, and of course, we can talk about your book. We can talk about a million other things. Uh, w- w- you know, we can talk about marketing because you're also a person who also oh, yeah. understands no matter how important the message is, you got to get it out to the world. 
Uh, and at the same time, I think uh, so much of what you have to share will just help our listeners become uh, better, happier, totally. uh, more engaged human beings. So for anything I didn't say, uh, how would you describe who you are and what you actually do? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a really great description. And I do think actually what's interesting is the marketing of personal development and the process of personal development is actually very similar uh, because I think personal development is one of the hardest things to market because it's very trend, it's very esoteric, authenticity, abundance, you know, changing your emotional state. Like these are invisible things, making money, losing weight. Those types of things are visible. You can see it. So um, we can definitely go there and uh, there's definitely direct correlation with how you teach it. But for me, I just, you know, straight to the heart, try to get to the root cause of what's happening. That's what functional life coaching is. I think a lot of times people who try to improve their lives go from low-level coping, like the addictions that you talk about, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, money, gambling, all that type of stuff. But then there's high-level coping. And you can cope with quinoa and gluten-free this and green juice and yoga and, you know, all the sort of high-performance habits can also become coping mechanisms if you don't deal with the underlying emotional trauma. And that's really what I help people do is just kind of dissolve that stuff and get to the root cause so that the yoga can be a way to fuel your purpose rather than just cope better, if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, so what brought you into this path? I mean, you're a, you're a student. I mean, me and Dean in our fields always talk about how we're converts of our own system. So, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, yeah, I think, yeah. Well, you know, any personal development person, this is, I think, 100% true. Um, whatever they're teaching is what they're working on. So, you know, I wrote a book called Claim Your Power. So my power was way out there um, for a lot of reasons. I was over-giver, codependent relationships, drugs, specifically cocaine, alcohol in the entertainment business. I worked with a lot of very famous clients um, and lived that lifestyle and hit a crazy rock bottom, bottomed out on cocaine, which is, uh, you know, just awful feeling. Um and just one day, just had a decision, like, I want to get sober, and I want to feel as good off the drugs as I did on the drugs, and I started consuming basically personal development the way that I used to consume drugs. <laughs> I got super into it. And then I What was your gateway? Doing... What was your first, uh, that, that's, you hit that spot. What's your, your gateway drug into personal Believe development? Believe it or not, it was thing. the seven habits of highly effective people. Right on. And specifically the idea that you have to seek to understand before you can be understood. I had spent my entire life, which is only about 22 years, but I spent my entire life trying to be understood first. Um, And like, it was all about me and everything in the music business was really just about me. And I was like, holy cow, where was that before? No one told me that. That would have been important to know early on. I said, well, what else don't I know? (laughs) And then I realized Mm. a lot, (laughs) a lot. Um, but yeah, Stephen Covey for sure was the gateway. And then into the woo-woo world, uh, one day I had a client who had a, a, a song in that, uh, I don't know if you guys remember the movie, What the Bleep Do We Know, is a spiritual film that came out yeah. maybe 10 years ago before The Secret. I had a client who had a song in that, uh, a song in that movie, and I got invited to the, the premiere, but it was actually this super woo-woo crystal festival. Like, I couldn't take it. And the only saving grace was there was this, like, Corellian photography, which takes pictures of your aura, which I did not believe in back then. But there was this beautiful woman uh, taking the photo. I'm like, I'm going to go talk to her. (laughs) And I tried to get her number. She wanted nothing to do with me. But she introduced me to a woman named Carolyn Mace, M-Y-S-S, who's just this no BS, just straight, direct uh, teacher. And between Carolyn Mace and Stephen Covey, uh, just kind of went down the rabbit hole of personal development. And then when I went to my first Tony Robbins seminar, not only was I 
ridiculously inspired. I knew deep in my soul that like doing seminars and interventions and getting down to that root cause is what I was supposed to do. So, um, yeah, but I mean, so many others, but basically Stephen and Carolyn and Tony have been sort of like the, the three main ones for me for sure. Awesome. Awesome. You know, how, how many, uh, how long did it take you Mastin like the immersion? Cause people always want some sort of shortcut and I don't blame them. And, and I really believe there are shortcuts. I mean, certainly, yeah. I, I mean, you can, you can, when you're walking, you can take a shortcut. So there's certainly yeah. quicker ways to get there, but there are certain things you just kind of have to go through a process. And so, uh, and I believe, as as I believe you do also, that unlearning is, in many cases, sometimes more valuable than learning. So it's all the subconscious patterning and all of the oh, yeah. traumas and all the things we need to work through. And every human being, including everyone that's listening to us right now, has different levels, different sensitivities, different stages, different intelligence, different resourcefulness and all of that. I mean, how how much how much time did you immerse yourself until you really started to see your life change? Um. Gosh, I, I think my life didn't really change until I was like, I was, there was definitely immersion, different seminars and stuff, but I was like the guy in the front row with my arms crossed being like, what are you trying to sell me? You know, like I wasn't really available. Um, as soon as I was available and humble enough to listen and go, huh, maybe I, maybe there is value here. Um, it started to change immediately. When did it get great? Uh, well, I had to couch surf for two years, um, and people always ask me, like, well, Mastin, if I take your advice, do I have to couch surf for two years? And the answer is like, no. You know, there's just a lot of stuff I didn't do, and I can save that time. But I do think that it does take a process. But it's hard to say how long or how – because it's such a subjective, individual process. But as soon as right. you are willing, the answers start to show up. And I also think that there's no arrival point because I think that, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman was sober for 25 years and overdosed on drugs. So – I kind of live my life in a state of training and emotional training. So I don't think I've ever kind of gotten to that place, you know, just like, you know, physical fitness is something you have to maintain. Um, but, you know, for sure there's shortcuts, which we can absolutely talk about, but I kind of feel like I'm never quite there, but I'm, I'm already where I need to be at the same time. So it's a, it's a state of training rather than a destination to get to. Yeah. You know, let me, let me actually, uh, I just want to say, Dean, because it's so yeah. similar to what we uh, – an exercise that Dean Jackson actually uh, came up with called I Know I'm Being Successful When. And it's it's not that you're ever successful and you've arrived or you're not. There are just certain conditions that exist in your life, and if these things exist, you can – whatever your standards are of success. Like, for instance, I had a cocaine addiction also in my worst state, and you're very familiar with this, Mastin. You know, at my worst state when I was 18 years old, I weighed 105 pounds from freebasing Coke for three months straight. Straight, And there had been a period of, of days where I had not eaten anything. And around that time, I averaged around 120 pounds, which is as thin as a rail for a 5'10", 18-year-old male. And I had gotten – it's such a bad state. So, I mean, I even say fast forward to today, and I'll be 50 years old next year. Uh, if I started, you know, doing cocaine tomorrow, no matter how much, you know, this persona of Joe Polish is or whatever my business is, I mean, I, all of that would disappear very quickly if I had a, you know, a big relapse and went into uh -huh. different habits. So, I, I mean, I think we're all on the same page. And I think Almost. a lot of the world, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've never, I've never done cocaine. But one I know, time I was going to say, I took dude, uh, right. one time I took four no-dos and a Mountain Dew, 
and that scared me straight. I thought my heart was going to explode. Totally. No, it's no joke. I mean, it's definitely. Well, yeah. and the thing is, I know you guys know Dr. Amen. Like when I went to go see Dr. Amen and got my brain scanned, they were like, oh, well, of course you did cocaine. You were trying to self-medicate because of these spots in your brain that aren't working. And then they're like, oh, by the way, you have three traumatic brain injuries. Oh, by the way, you have three forms of ADD. So what you were really trying to do was self-medicate. And that let me that that made me release so much shame, you know, because there's there can be so wow. much shame associated with that with that type of addictive behavior, you know. Yeah. No, totally. So, so my whole point is is that uh, a, a lot of people think you're going to get to a stage in life where you just arrive, you walk out on the back porch of your beach house, and all your financial needs are taken care of. You've got your beautiful partner, you've got whatever, and you know life just. And you're on Oprah. Off. Right, right. <laughs> I just know, realized, so all, you know, Maston may be our, I think, I was trying to do the tally, but uh, uh, Maston may be our 13th one degree of separation from Oprah right now. Oh, wow. If we think of all the people that we've had on I Love Marketing that have been with Oprah or on Oprah, I think Maston may be number 13 or something. Well, I, I've met Oprah twice. I know you. Never, on her, never on her show. I mean, I, right. the first time she went to Miraville, I sat and had a conversation with her about equine experiences, with his, which is, you know, using uh, horses in order to find, you know, where kind of where you're at. If you're aggressive, how you respond to animals and stuff. And then another time at the Oscars back in uh, 2006. But uh, and I, I saw her at the Emmys. Uh, that I just went to, but I didn't have a conversation with her. I, that was mm-hmm. I saw her way down at the you know at the front row. On so, stage, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no, but Mastin, Mastin's a rock star. Mastin, I mean, you yeah. are you truly you you're you're really just an incredible uh, speaker and communicator. Here's what I would say about his book too. Uh, I have not read. Um, I just started reading Mastin's book, and part of it for this episode is because I have a personal relationship with Mastin and sort of know his material to to a degree, I'd rather let the audience uh, just hear how he communicates it and if they're so inspired to take his plan and path, because uh, I, I, I know for a fact that his book, if people follow it and if they utilize his advice, because he has done this with many, many people, uh, they can change their lives, they can improve it, they can transform it to, to whatever degree they want to jump into it. So I just wanted to have a conversation about, you know, how do we help people? How do we get them there? And uh, well, I think you know, I think one of the things about 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 what you just said, Joe. And by the way, thank you. I think that you know I, when I thought about writing another book, like I don't think that people need another self help book. I think there's enough information in the world. And what I got really clear on was like this should be about implementation. And I got really asking myself the question like why don't people implement? Like even high achievers have a hard time going to the next level. Um, whatever level you're at, the next level is just as scary. And what I learned was is that it's all about the nervous system and how the nervous system responds to uncertainty. And especially when you talk about happiness, joy, abundance, freedom, like all the stuff entrepreneurs are going for, your nervous system will literally not let you feel that stuff because positive states are viewed by the nervous system as a threat. And so the core assumption of functional life coaching in this book is this. It's like, hey, don't go achieve something more. Don't just try to push forward to do more because I think that there's like – a lot of achievers are just like reco- you know recovering perfectionists. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and I think that it's more about removing the impediments because if you think about us being born as a baby, like babies are born open, clean, beautiful. You know, you're in this amazing state of awe and curiosity about the world, and then we get traumatized. So my focus is primarily about you know removing or dissolving the emotional blocks rather than becoming more. Because I think a lot of self help 
is done under the guise of the feeling that like I'm not enough and I, this self-help work will help me become more versus like, you know what, you're crushing it. Who you are as a soul, if you believe in that stuff, is enough. And let's just remove the impediments and let that naturalness shine forward. That's what, the, that's what greatness is. If you think about anyone who's on stage, right, what, what defines a great speaker, a great actor, is just literally someone being themselves in public. That's basically what a great speaker, a great actor is, or a great performer. So the way to do that is to remove the impediments. And the hard part, I think, Joe, because I know this is, I love marketing, is like, how the hell do you market that? Same thing, like how does someone you know, remove the impediments that are keeping them from being a good marketer, a good business person, a good parent, a good whatever? Uh, right. So, yeah, I mean... And, and yeah, how do you market it? It is a tough gig. I, I mean, I would much rather, and I, I mean, I've not been kind of sneaky about this. I tell people all the time, I would much rather have conversations and talk about how to fix your head and how to feel better about yourself than how to make money. It's just a lot easier to sell how to make money. So I think the very it's a hot product. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think we, I think we can. Uh, I, I try to just sell people what they want and give right. them what they need by kind of smuggling That's in or right. sneaking in, like how to be a better human, how to you know get better health. That's why we do so many episodes related to other issues other than just marketing, because if you become a better human, you're going to be a better marketer. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, so I, Matthew, I actually thinking about oh, yeah, marketing then. Well, yes. Let's talk about, let's kind of map that path then from a guy who's like, uh, at the bottom, basically. I mean, you totally. talk about your your very bottom uh, moment of all that week of everything unraveling, and um, and maybe you can talk a little bit about that, and then kind of the the path, what you would call conscious like um, marketing uh, path that you kind of took well, to to become where you are right now. A hundred percent. I think. Thank you. Yeah. I think. Well, first of all, I think. From market from with marketing, like I personally had to overcome all of my marketing trauma because I did have marketing trauma because I've been to seminars where it's a sellathon and I thought these people were trying to help me and it was just like get this thing then the secret level two then the secret level three and the level four and level and all the type of stuff and I was so turned off by it and the person that actually literally changed my mind around this was Tony Robbins but it was a negative experience first so I'd gone to all these self help seminars with the upsell and I was like. I hate this upsell bullshit. Like, this is not how it's supposed to be. So I go to UPW. Tony has invited, invited me as, as, as his friend, and I went there. And on day three, he made the offer for Mastery University, and I said, ah, there we go again. Date with destiny, all this type of stuff. And I was like, you know what? Like, this is another one of those guys. And then I had a meeting with him on the following Monday. So that was on a Saturday. The following Monday, I had a meeting with him in New York City with our mutual friend, Jason Bin. And I was couch surfing, broke, no money. And Tony started talking to me about, dude, you got to come to date with, well, you know how Tony was saying, dude, you got to come to date with Destiny, like in the way he says it. And I was like, oh, Tony, I, I can't. And it was kind of that there was, this, there was this energy on stage that he had about date with Destiny that I was like, oh, that's just him getting hyped and selling people. Literally him and Sage were in this office with Jason pitching me on date with Destiny with the same intensity and enthusiasm as, you know, a room of 15,000 people, and I couldn't afford it, and he just let me come. And I was like, there's something different here, because, like, he has nothing to gain from me. There's zero, literally zero value I could bring to the table here, and yet he just spent 15 minutes, like, basically just pitching me on this thing to come. And I was like, fine, I'll come. And then Date With Destiny blew my life wide open. And I realized, like, oh, my God, like, sometimes it's me, because not everybody is a snake oil salesman. Like, there's people who are good, and Tony really taught me that. My own bias was preventing me from moving forward. 
And then the second thing I realized to get out of couch surfing was, well, I had to actually make an offer. I had a list of like 50,000 people and I hated them because I was couch surfing and had no money. And then I realized like, duh, kid, you got to make an offer. And a lot of times people who do, you know, coaching or whatever, I, the type of stuff I do, the fear is being seen or vulnerable um, and they don't actually ever make an offer because they think it's salesy, but it's really not salesy to invite yourself to you know, invite, you know, make an invitation to somebody who received value. So I had to look at my own internal biases based on marketing trauma because there are people who you know, literally just want to sell you stuff, but there are also really great people who you know, can change lives. And I put Tony Robbins at the top of that pile um, of people who are in integrity. Um, and so it's just been a slow, steady burn of like learning that and then really wanting to over-deliver my own products and programs. But I can also tell you the secret to marketing personal development if you want. <laughs> yes, I would love to hear that. So it's actually really simple. So in, with personal development, people go toward, they use these words, abundance, purpose. You know, purpose is one of the most overused words in the world, but I had to use it for this book because it's what the market wants. So what I did was I had this huge aha moment. I was reading, the, I think it's called The Power of Habit by Charles Duhigg. And he talked mm-hmm. about the habit loop of like a cue, an action, and a reward. And he talked about this case study with Febreze where Febreze had no scent and they were marketing it to people who had basically smelly rooms. But the thing is, when you have a smelly room, your olfactory senses, which is your ability to smell, goes down and you don't know that your house smells like cat piss. <laughs> right. <laughs> Nose blindness. Exactly. So like, right. it wasn't yeah. selling. It wasn't selling. But then somehow, I think it was Procter & Gamble had like all of this like video footage of women cleaning rooms, which I don't know how they got that, which is creepy a little bit. But they had like thousands of hours. And they Uh analyzed it, and what they realized was that at the end of cleaning a room, there was a satisfaction that most of these women had that the room was clean. There was a smile. There was an exhale. So what they did was they marketed Febreze as it's not clean, or you don't get that reward until it's Febreze clean. And they added a little scent, which is not necessary for it to work. And then the marketing was a woman finishing cleaning the room, and then she's satisfied with the Febreze scent. That's when it took off. And I had yes. this massive aha moment where I was like, oh, my God, like, what are the rewards that people in my, in my world are going for? And I did some serious surveying, and I realized there's like five or six rewards or payoffs that they think finding their purpose will bring them. So all I've done is basically marketed those rewards, and in Joe's terms, you know, sell them what they want, give them what they need. You know, the way that they get there is – Revisiting their old trauma, seeing it in a different way, realizing their limiting beliefs, learning how to overcome them, being scared shitless, overcoming those fears. But that's not how I market it. I market it as here's the rewards. And before you even say anything, by the way, I know you're probably thinking these five objections. So let's talk about how this is a coaching opportunity. And we just get out front all that stuff. And our conversions have been through the roof because we're grounding it. A lot of personal development is kind of you know, airy, fairy, pie-in-the-sky stuff. And we try to bring it very down to the ground with, you know, those rewards of, like, what do people actually want and then showing that in B-roll and copy and stuff like that. That's brilliant. I mean, Procter & Gamble are masters at that. And that, you know, there's it's no shortage. They they actually put cameras in. They pay women uh, or families money to install cameras in their homes just to observe them. On, yeah. Uh, yeah, and they'll get a week worth of, of footage kind of thing and just uh, analyze it. Very, It's amazing what they do. But you hit on something there that's kind of, um, I think, a really good marketing principle to 
uh, highlight here. You're talking about that, that visualizing the reward and our, you know, our friend Joe Sugarman built a 300, he'll sold $300 million worth of, of blue blockers with a infomercial that was entirely made up of that reward. It was people well, talk trying about on some, the glasses they're, they're, going, hey, yeah, there's wow, this is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just want to make sure people that don't know what blue blockers are, Dean, so you don't date yourself here, uh, know that you're referring to <laughs> Well, they're to all stuff. the rage again because of Dave Asprey. Right. <laughs> you know, like, exactly. every, like, everyone's doing blue block. I was over at Men's Health the other day, like, oh, I was going to talk about blue lights. They're like, no, 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 everyone's talking about that already. I was like, okay, no problem. It's, like, all back. But I was like, yeah, that's like Joe Sugarman stuff. And, right. You know, but that was, you know, you know, that was oh, the yeah. commercial. That was the thing is the totally. uh, that reward of, wow, wow. You know, like people go, I got to try these. That's right. And if you think about it, like you know, one of my one of my marketing principles, especially in like the world that I'm in, because everyone's a coach, like they have these like they want to teach people these deep principles. I'm like, guys, you got to make your marketing shallow and your content deep. You can't make your mm-hmm. marketing deep because nobody cares. <laughs> like yeah. literally, if I said would you pay me a million dollars to be healthy? People would look at me like I'm crazy. But if I said, would you pay me a million dollars for the cure for cancer? People would start bidding up. So it's like a right. level of specificity, but also the outcome that's super, super important. And you know what the number one outcome is for purpose or the number one oh, um, objection is for people living their purpose? What's what? That? Financial. And not mm. just, I can't pay my bills even deeper. It's I can't take care of my loved ones. So mm. in 2018, I'm going to be rolling out tons of case studies of women specifically who have like, you know, found their purpose and are taking even better care of their families. There's no better marketing than that because if I have tons of case studies overcoming the number one objection, like it just crushes all those objections ahead of time. And then all of a sudden finding your purpose becomes aspirational rather than objections. I think the goal for good marketing is you have to turn the objections into an aspiration. Mm-hmm. I think you're so right. Like it's really interesting that it does all come down to money in a lot of ways, right? Like that is a a gateway to lots of other things. And that's, that's big time. yeah, when I look at it, like my organization, our purpose, is, as we state it, is that we help entrepreneurs make more money. And yep. so everything that we do is about an outcome called making more money. We don't publish courses on learning a skill that's three steps removed from making more money. The things that we teach people to do are send this email today to the people who haven't bought yet and, and make more money. And that self funds the ability to do all these other things. Yeah, that's really a hundred percent. And the, 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 the trick is, you know, I mean, how many people, we, I mean, I, I'm not going to speak for who you guys know, but I know that we all know people who have tons of money but lack emotional wealth, yeah. right? And I think that's really the name of the game. I think most people are in emotional debt where they're just on the hook. You know, something external has to happen for them to feel happy because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, the data is really clear. After $75,000 a year, money really doesn't have a gauge on happiness unless, of course, you're giving it away. That's how you buy happiness is you give it away. But it is a tool for freedom, but it's also how you relate to it. And so I think that, you know, uh, and I know you guys see this too, because, you know, we are all in proximity to people who achieve at a high level. There are certainly people who are able to have money and be successful and also be fulfilled and happy, but it's probably a rarer group of people because most people's marker for 
success is just financially based. However, when you get there, David Geffen has a great quote. He says, people who think money will make you happy haven't got any. Ah, <laughs> uh, interesting. Yeah. Right. But it's also like, once you get there, how do you have that fulfillment and that joy? And I think that's where purpose comes in because, you know, with all the automation that's happening, all the AI that's happening, all the jobs that are being displaced, a lot of people are going to be asking, what's my purpose? Because it used to be, you know, the useful doing things that now, you know, AI will be doing. So I think that we're on the precipice of amazing technological breakthroughs. But, you know, when you talk about Peter Diamantis and, you know, Ray Kurzweil and all the exponential growth, I think we're going to also have to have exponential healing and exponential purpose for that growth to not just completely wipe us out because we have to have a purpose. Otherwise, why are we here? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that you know it's it's actually a good point. And it's funny you bring up uh Peter because me and uh Jason Fladlin are very involved in helping Peter with the marketing of his uh Abundance 360 digital product and Peter of course uh, I came up with my MTP massive transformative purpose of changing the global conversation about how people view addicts with compassion instead of judgment and finding the best forms of treatment that have efficacy that, you know, will help save lives, hopefully, and will help reduce a lot of suffering, which, of course, you'll, you are uh, instrumental in in that. And I know that for what I'm doing with GeniusRecovery.com and all that, that, you know, your materials, and we'll probably do interviews specifically on on that area with with you uh, in all that. But, But the the thing that I had a question for you is, you know, what holds most people back? And I was going to ask you that before you even brought up the money thing. So with that context, how would you, how would you, what, what does hold people back? It's a great question. And I wish it was about time and money, but as we all know, as marketers, it's never about time or money. Um, so the, the actual literal answer is the human ner- nervous system. I, I would define and think about the human nervous system as the most brilliantly dumb uh, piece of software that we have, because on the one hand, it keeps us tremendously safe. It's the byproduct of millions of years of evolution. And on the other hand, you know, we know that when you experience a trauma, the brain does a few things and the nervous system does a few things. It deletes, distorts, and generalizes. So let's just say that you're five years old and your father, you know, a lion jumps out of a bush and, like, devours your father alive, right? And you just have this awful traumatic experience. From that moment forward, anything green and anything that has four legs will be considered a threat by your nervous system, which on a certain level is very binary. It's like everything like this is a threat. Anything like that is not a threat. This is the root cause of racism, xenophobia. This is the root cause of what keeps people stuck. And so what I do is I help people go back to those moments and realize, well, you did delete some stuff, you did distort some stuff, you did generalize some stuff, and there's some stuff you also didn't emphasize or highlight. And so maybe it's true that at that time and place this was true, but this can't be always true. And practically speaking, you know, I work with a lot of women, if they get cheated on, they don't think John is a cheater, they kind of think all men are cheaters. Or if someone starts a business and they fail, it's not like this business failed, and by the way, I'm learning lessons, it's like, no, I will always be a failure. So this generalization caused by the sort of binary nature of the nervous system is what keeps people stuck, and the idea that the happiness or the joy that they're going for is actually a threat because, you know, the nervous system is trained to primarily prevent us from being in danger rather than experience joy. And so if you think about it, like, you're basically 
scared or afraid of the thing that you want most. And people, you know, the therapists and psychologists will call this self-sabotage, which I think is the worst term for it in the world. The real truth is it's self-protection because your nervous system thinks the next level will kill you. And that's why addiction is so hard. There's so many, there's so much biochemistry with this, but literally the nervous system of the addict says, without this thing, I will die. That's why it's so hard to give it up. That is a very, uh, very unique and interesting perspective that many people don't talk about because they probably don't even understand it. And I can definitely relate to it because I, you know, I believe the issues are in the tissues, and I think this gets deep. You know, you you would maybe call it something other than that, but uh, you know how you how you sort of frame it. So, huh? All right. So that that being said, uh, what does one do about it. I mean, I guess this could bring us back to your book because I know your 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 book is really the subtitle is a forty day journey to dissolve the hidden blocks and keep you stuck and finally thrive in your life's unique uh, purpose. Uh, what does that actually mean in terms of the Great plan question. and the path? Yeah, the, hid, the, hidden, the, the, the hidden blocks is like marketing copy for unhealed trauma. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> this right? is good. I like um, this because if I if I said unhealed trauma, like no one would buy the book. Um, but if you look at anything that's happening today, racism, the xenophobia, the, the polarization of the, of, the, of the politics, you know, the reaction to Donald Trump, the reaction to Hillary Clinton, like everything, and the, the continued fueling of this, Black Lives Matter, Charlottesville, neo-Nazis, like there's certain values I think we all would agree are need to be extinct. Um, and I would imagine, you know, we all are in favor of progress and equality, sort of the general basic values of the country that we you know, the United States of America, but underlying that is the emotional blocks, which is everyone's traumatized. So even though the values of neo-Nazism or the values of xenophobia need to be erased, the human being who has those values it has emotional trauma. And so you've got to start to work on that. And the way you, where someone starts is the willingness to go there because most self-help is just high-level coping and people love it because they get to that financial fulfillment Maybe they get a little bit of change, maybe, but the reason why you start and stop and start and stop, or you have these high achievers who are just kind of morally, emotionally bankrupt is because they haven't done the underlying emotional work. So the hidden blocks are what are, what is your sort of emotional trauma that needs to be worked at? And then like, let's focus on really changing that and healing that and then seeing it in a new way. And it's very pragmatic actually. And I'll give you a very practical example. When I was four years old, my mom uh, got back from a significant back surgery after being gone for three weeks, and I ran out on the tarmac uh, back before 9-11 and jumped on her in this hospital bed. And, like, all the people around her freaked out because she had a huge surgery, and she was just in tremendous pain. And when I did that, I decided unconsciously that when I expressed my love, I hurt people. So that's why I had a hard time speaking up. That's why I had a hard time voicing things. And I realized, well, actually, my mom was relieved, and I remember she exhaled, and she held me tight, and she was grateful. I also then remembered many years later that when I expressed my love, I helped people, too. And so, like, figuring this type of stuff out, and then when you go towards it and you start to take counteraction, you got to have that support, that mentorship, which I know you guys really believe in. That's why I'm in Genius Network, for the support and the mentorship, because no one does it alone. Um, and other, I'm in other masterminds as well because it's just, I'm just such a believer in that. But it's basically going to feel like this. Oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. Like you feel like you're going to die, but you've got to go into the thing that you're scared of and hang with it until you're not scared of it anymore on an emotional level because what traumatized you was an emotional experience, so you have to get out of it emotionally. You can't get out of it mentally. Mm. Huh. Wow. You, you know, th- I mean, not that I ever thought I would ever bring this up in an I uh, Love Marketing episode. Um 
although I'm pretty damn open about a lot of shit I talk about. This isn't any crazy like sex addiction story or anything because I've talked about that sort of stuff too. This oh, is uh, with, yeah, I know you're waiting, dude. Oh. Um, the the uh, when my mother uh, passed away when I was four years old, my mother died of of cancer and she had some sort of stomach cancer. We can't even figure out what they wrote on the death certificate because this is back in 1972. And there was I only have two memories of my mother. And one of them is when she was in a hospital bed. I don't know if it was the day before, a few days before, two weeks before she died. Uh, but I was in a, a hospital room with her with, with my father and my brother, who was four and a half years older than me. And I was, you know, four and she had uh, tubes up her nose. And I I've never heard my mother's voice. I the only thing I've ever seen of my mother that I can remember is uh, video footage was that was on a, a reel that has no volume. And wow. she, had, she had tubes up her nose. And that, that's one memory that I have. The other memory is I was jumping on the bed and she wanted me to be there, but it was hurting her. And someone pulled, yanked me off the, the bed because I was doing something wrong. And I don't know if it was my father or who it was, but I just have that, that fragment of that memory. And I, some, I lived so much of my life, Mastin, uh, associating that. I'm hurting my mother. I, you know, because yeah. wow. very similar to when you jumped when you said you went and jumped on her. So it's like, yeah, when I try to take care of someone, I hurt them. And then, of course, yeah. you know, you've heard my story. I got molested as a kid. I was paid money not to say anything. It wired into my my brain that sex is dirty, it's shameful, it's bad, unless you pay for it. And it's like all these. So those are just pieces of of things that you know I now look at as as trauma. Uh, but it's it's amazing, like. What are, you know, what, what you said, the, the, the human nervous system deletes, distorts, and generalizes, and these things get set in place, you know, right. usually under, before the age of seven. A hundred percent. Dude, first of all, Joe, I, this is, I mean, there's many reasons why I love you, but this is one of them. Like, your transparency and your honesty is just so freaking inspiring and awesome, dude. Like, I love how real you are. And like, what's so beautiful about what you shared? And you know, we I, everybody has some version of this. It could be super significant. Like, I would I would categorize what you experienced on a on a higher level than what I experienced. The nervous system responds to your trauma the same. So, like, people sometimes compare, like, oh my gosh, like, well, they didn't go through what I went through. I went I, what I went through seems insignificant. Everyone has their version of this. But think about this. Like, imagine that you never realized that stuff. You never dealt with the emotions underneath, and you're like, you know what? But this green juice will help me. <laughs> Right, right. right. Wow, relationship yeah. will help me. Having kids will help me. Ten billion dollars will help me. Like, on a certain level, yes. But you know, it's really just you know, people have this aha moment addiction where there's like this temporary hit of a breakthrough. But that's really when the real work begins. So the fact that you first of all can admit that and talk about that out loud is tremendously. I don't even know. Courageous is the right word. It's badass. And yeah, you. you just practically demonstrated and we're real about something that everybody has that if you don't focus on that, like your meditation, your green juice, your bulletproof coffee, like whatever your finances, your business, your webinar funnel, whatever, will just be high level coping. Not that any of that stuff is wrong, but when you clear out and work on the stuff that you just said, that stuff supplements your purpose and can help you just skyrocket your success. So I love you for saying that. And also it's a really great opportunity to kind of pinpoint, you know, specifically what I mean when I talk about those hidden blocks and how they prevent you. That's an awesome analogy and, and amazing story. And I love you. 
Uh, I love you too. Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah. So, so please, like, let's. Uh, and and, and I, let me let me let me say this also because I, in any way, shape, or form, never want to try to say that. Oh, you know, my situation was so horrible. Like everybody has their own cross to bear. Everybody has their version of stuff. And before the, you know, probably eighteen hundreds, almost every child was beaten, abused, molested, raped. And, and when I say every child, I mean we, yeah, yeah. we we literally have a planet where there's just been a lot of stuff. I think with modern life though, it is continually incessant. Like in, in the past, if you watch the news, you might watch the news at six PM. You might watch it at ten PM. You might read the newspaper. Now the news is nonstop. It never stops. And so I have a friend, Dr. David Arneson, who's treated uh, you know, over 20,000 people with the worst addictions. I mean, we're talking homeless mothers that are uh, you know, smoking crack and shooting heroin, and he you know, treats them and has a lot of success using IV treatments to repair the gut where 70% of serotonin is made, and he, he helps a lot of people. And I was uh, at his uh, clinic. Because uh, we're doing a lot of stuff to, to 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 get methodologies out to help people with addictions, and I said, "Why do you think heroin addiction has almost doubled in the last four to five years?" And he <clears throat> pulled out a flip phone. He has like an old flip phone, and he said, "You know, cell phones." He goes, "Technology uh. people are constantly." just the level of stimulation that is coming people. So even though it's not the traumas of getting attacked by a saber-toothed tiger or, or anything like maybe in the past, it's just incessant. It's continual, you know, stimulation. So the point is, it's it's not to say, oh, this mine is worse than yours or whatever. It's like everybody has different levels of sensitivity. Everybody has stuff. But the point is, if you don't, if you, if you ignore it, like you're mentioning, Mastin, you're never going to have any you know, any help for it. I mean, the the first the first step of moving forward is to be aware of what is the not just the symptoms because people try to treat the symptoms, but they don't go to the root cause. And what you really you're really a root cause guy. You're like, if you really want your life to change, let's let's get to this damn thing and and, and start working with it. So anyway, yeah, I no, think I mean, that's so much. You know, Joe, you just talked about something that like the access to continuous feeding of that, either our fear or our uh, dread or any of the things that it's constantly updated and on our phones available continuously. We just had this, the big hurricane here in Florida. And for a week ahead of this hurricane, the entire state was just fixated on this giant red you know, graphic of this hurricane inching its way through the Caribbean. It's headed to Cuba. It's expected to hit Florida and all these things. So for a week of this fear and, and everybody uh, preparing for it and the actual hurricane itself here in Florida, we're in, in Winter Haven, lasted for I'll say that the peak of it was about a four hour period of time where the wind and the rain and everything like this. And I thought, you know, uh, 50 years ago or a hundred years ago, let's say a hundred years ago before it was, you wouldn't even see it on the news kind of thing. We would have been completely oblivious that there was a hurricane coming and right, right. up until literally the hours before the hurricane hit, it was beautiful weather in Winter Haven, Florida. 
And then for a period of four, six, eight hours, it was it was uh, progressively worse and then cleared up in the next day, beautiful and green again. But because right. we had the ability to fuel and amplify that fear and that dread, people could do it for um, for a week ahead of time. That's right. and, and amplify it globally. <laughs> yeah. <Right. laughs> That's just like... It's, it is crazy, and, and, and that's the thing about tech is that tech is good and bad. Like, you know, tech is used for, you know, conversations like this. It's also used to peddle child pornography, you know, right. so it's like there's, there's good and bad. But I definitely think, you know, and Joe, I know we're both mutual fa- uh, fans of uh, Cal Newport and Deep Work. Like, I do think that the yeah, human nervous too. system was not built for this level of just pounding of information. Mm-hmm. And the other thing is, you know, most media, you know, the media didn't, doesn't report, hey, guys, uh, big news. Seven point whatever billion people woke up alive today. You know, and no. that's not what they report. You know, they report if it bleeds, it leads. So they take stuff and they take stuff like a hurricane, and it literally becomes like a God. I hope shit gets destroyed, and it's like this countdown. And they like the worse it is, the the, the better it is for the media because it increases their ratings. You know, yeah. there's a whole other issue around that, which I think is nonsense. There's certain things that shouldn't be for profit. You know, the news, prisons, you know, hospitals and stuff like that, uh, government. Um, but you know that that's a big issue um, is 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 you know the amplification of potential threat and making it mm-hmm. an awful thing. It's complete. It's total total cortisol all day long for sure. Yeah. Right, and, and it's and it's it's almost like you know if you work out, uh, you can fatigue yourself to a point. You can get stronger. If you never stop, you burn yourself out. And the same thing happens with the human brain when you're just exposed to small drippings of negativity, it can become a huge thing. So we may not experience trauma today in the same ways that it might have been in the past, but it was not just nonstop consistent. So, you know, it's not, none of this is intended to be, you know, mine's worse than yours. Because, I mean, hell, there are people that have been through stuff that I can't even fathom that live in, you know, third world countries that have never even known what it's like to not experience starvation. You know, I mean, so... The point is, though, it's your shit. I mean, I heard a long time ago this this analogy is if if you have a broken foot, you may look at a person that has no legs or two broken legs and say, well, you know, at least I don't have that. But you still have a broken foot. It doesn't it doesn't fix your broken foot. So the, the, right. the point is, we all are well served to do the very best we can. And if you want to be miserable you can compare yourself to other people that are doing better. If you want to feel maybe better, you can compare yourself to people that are doing worse. But the point is, is try not to just do the comparisons unless you're doing it in a way that derives some sort of useful value. And that's frankly not the way that most people do it. They're like, I'm not rich enough. I'm not happy enough. I'm not this and not that. So Mastin, let's get into the stuff that you're a master at. Because uh, in, in, uh, I, I didn't want to cut you off from the last thing. Uh, so no let's, uh, you know, what I want to get to is, is what you, you you mentioned that the word purpose is so overused, but you had to use it for this book. And in the intro of your book, you actually, I think, do a great job of ex- explaining the context around that. I, I'd love to ask you, you know, how can someone discover what their purpose is and start living it? And why the hell should we take something like that seems so big, like, you know, what is my purpose? And even look at that as, 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 as a pursuit. Sure. Great question. I'll be as brief as possible um, and also hopefully as entertaining as possible. Um, So the word purpose is something that is overused. Um, I took it out of some of my promotions many years ago and the marketing just 
dropped. And so what I realized was I was in a marketing bubble. Like I use it too much um, and maybe people around me use it too much, but the general public and our avatar and the people that we work with, that's the word that matters to them. So I had to get outside of myself. It's like a, a band that's so over playing their hit song, but everybody wants to hear it. I saw that a lot in the music business. So for me, that's why we use the word purpose in and of itself, though, is, you know, what you're here for. Why are you here? What are you going to be used for? If I had to make it as simple as possible, because when I ask a room of 3,000 people what does purpose mean, I get different answers from every single person. In the science community, we have defi- there's definitions for the same thing, and it means the same thing in the United States, Mexico, China, Japan, whatever. The, a centimeter is a centimeter. The word purpose is vague. So I, I'm going to give you a very simple but not easy definition of what purpose is. We set goals in order to feel the emotion underneath it. So we want the money to feel freedom and certainty, or we want you know, a relationship to feel intimacy and love. We want to lose the weight to feel vitality and self-respect. So we're going for emotional targets, but we try to get our emotional needs met with the stuff. So life is essentially an emotional game, and there's so much research to support this, um, but emotions are everything. The quality of your life is the quality of your emotions. Tony Robbins teaches us this. So everything's an emotional game, but not very many people have these three things, emotional awareness, emotional intelligence, and emotional fitness. You've got to have all three. So the basic definition of purpose, and what I'm about to say is very basic, but the implications are profound. All purpose is, is an emotion that you cultivate within yourself and then you express it to the world in the form of service to other people. And that's basically cultivate within yourself and then you have to express it, meaning you can't hold it in, you have to express it to the world in the form of service. And why this is so huge is because most people are not cultivating or creating or even aware that they can create the emotional states in their body They're just trying to consume it from the television, from the computer, from the sugar, from the drugs, from the relationship, from the news, from the whatever. And they think if there's some external rules of what has to happen for them to be happy versus recognizing, no, 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 the the emotional states that I feel are, are within me and I can choose to generate those. And when I figure out the emotions that I specifically want to feel, I figure out not just what they are, but then how to generate them and create them in my life. And then I start expressing it in the world in the form of service to other people, game changer. And let me give you very practically an example of what I mean. Tony Shea wrote a book called Delivering Happiness, which is an emotion. And, you know, you look at, you know, all the books on culture, right? All the books on how to build great businesses. People talk about great culture, raving fan clients. The way that you build a great culture is you have a peak emotional state associated with the company and all of your team and employees. And then you take that emotional state and you transfer it to your customers that produces what are called raving fans. It's all an emotional game. So when you realize this, then you start to realize like, oh my God, I've been going for the stuff externally. I have to learn, first of all, what emotions do I even want to feel? Most people don't have that awareness. Then the intelligence of well, what do I got to do to make those emotions happen in my life. And then the third part is the fitness, which is consistently doing it to make it real and not just about yourself, but also in service to other people. So it's a very simple idea, but when you think about it, most people have it the other way around. So literally, if you embody this idea, it will literally turn your life upside down, which is why a lot of people are resistant to the idea. Wow. wow. That, was a, that was a damn good definition. I mean, we break can break that down. We, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's here, here's, here's the thing. Like, if I mean, if you just were to take that part, and yeah. and, and that's, I mean, you can, it's clear that 
that Mastin has really worked hard uh, on his own personal development and has really dwelled deeply into, um, you know, into, <laughs> I, I had, I just did a talk uh, a few days ago, which is why my throat is really kind of scratchy right now. I feel a little kind of under the weather, mostly because I went out and ate food that night that I uh, rarely eat, which involved grains and some dairy. And I literally felt crappy uh, the next I kind of, you know, because I'm such a such a clean eater. It's like, oh my god, totally. which is funny. Uh, but uh, you know, you you've you've dwelled so deeply in the world. I had a slide that I had gaping void draw for me, and it was the you know Socrates and Plato credited with uh, an unexamined uh, life is not worth living, and I had him reverse it and say an, an unlived life is not worth examining, and. Mm. Uh, you should really like live your life, and and, and and if you do, people will look up to you. And so I, I think you just demonstrated with your explanation of purpose just how deeply you have not only thought about this area, but have, have created it in your life. And, and the whole thing about um, expressing it to the world, generating it, doing it in the form of service, I mean, these are all very ethical things. And so I know that's what your whole book is about and so if someone resonates with that uh you know we're going to continue we'll, we'll keep going with some questions and conversation with Mastin here but go get a copy of Mastin's book uh it's called claim your power you can get this book wherever books are sold well at least wherever good books are sold and that you know that would be as simple as amazon or a google is there anywhere else that sells books besides amazon now? i know yeah, are there funny. still other books Barnes and noble yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Barnes and Noble. There you go. <laughs> hey, you can go to the airport. Sometimes you can find it. Uh, there but, you go. Perfect. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, the, the, you know, the whole the whole thing here that that alone, the way you just described it, is I, I love that because I've always I've had a lot. I know you guys talk to a lot of people and hear a lot of stuff, so I can tell you that just that means a lot to me coming from you guys. So it means a lot, guys. Thank you. It's, it's yeah, yeah, been yeah, yeah. a hard yeah. road to figure this shit out. <laughs> well, and, and the other thing that I know that you come from is like about 97% look, I mean, I'm just pulling this figure out of my, uh, you know what, uh, about 97% of health, self-help books, in my opinion, are probably what's wrong with you and how to fix it. And there's probably 3% of what's right with you and how to enhance it. And I know... <laughs> it's more accurately, it's what's wrong with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And here's no, how you my, should fix it. Yeah. 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 My, uh, my, my friend, uh, the late Nathaniel Brandon, who was the father of self esteem, just a brilliant guy. And he, he wrote a book wow. called Taking Responsibility that probably yeah. like 12 people actually read because I don't think most people really want to take responsibility. <laughs> and, you know, but it was such a fantastic, it was, it was a fantastic book. But the, the whole thing is, yeah, there's, there's a lot of people who are like, hey, if, if only you change, if, but it, it's always, you know, and I mean, you even say this uh, in the book. I'm not quite sure how you phrase it. There's this, a lot of people are pursuing outer space. You know, I'm certainly, I'm an investor in a space company and I, I own spaceuniversity.com, the URL. I mean, there's a lot of exploration that people will explore, but exploring your own world, your own inner world, that's where all of your happiness, fulfillment, joy, connection and every in everything is going to come from in in the bigger thing though uh about just taking the title you know claim your power we can generate stuff and when people you know it, it when i actually realized as i went through my own journey that i can influence other people i can 
change things. I can make my own lot in life incredibly. That is really where power comes from. And in 12 mm-hmm. steps, and I've sat in many 12 step groups, I mean, surrendering and giving up, uh, you know, some things is also a form of opening yourself up to become more powerful that a lot of people don't quite understand. But uh, anyway, I want to, I want to really have Mastin be talking and not me because I'm rambling here, but I'm just. Well, no, in- no, your rambles are awesome and they're not rambles. They're, there's, there's really great gems in there. You know, I think, look, I, I, I love Star Wars, Star Trek. You know, I'm a big fan of, like, I would fanboy if I ever met Ray Kurzweil. You know, like, anyone who's in AI or tech, you know, Branson, Bezos, Musk, Naveen Jain, like, all those guys. I love all those guys, and I'm on point with it. And we should be ten times more interested in inner space. And, you know, we're getting there, but I predict one day that we'll be able to measure people's emotional states just like we can measure their microbiome. That's going to happen. And when we do... Uh, it's going to be a game changer. But the, the, the problem is that, you know, if you think about, for example, artificial intelligence, like one of Elon Musk's biggest pro- like, like fears is like the values of artificial intelligence. Like, will it destroy us or will it not? And not even will it be against us, but like, will there be some algorithm whose only purpose is to make paper clips and then turn every atom of the planet into paper clips and destroy anything that doesn't let, us ha- let that happen? which is why he created Neuralink to kind of like help us think up and kind of maybe overcome that. And so I think that why this is why I'm so passionate about this and why I love tech and why I love space is because it's awesome. But, you know, AI is data analysis at scale and making correlations to different patterns that we can't possibly perceive at higher and higher levels from general intelligence to eventually super intelligence. And so why this is so important is if AI is looking at the data as a predictive model of human behavior, as a predictive model, well, it's analyzing behavior based in trauma, so it will just continue to predict more behavior based in trauma at an exponential rate. And that's, to me, really crazy and scary. So one of the things that I want to focus on is, well, how can we not just you know, use human behavior as a predictive model, but how can we analyze human behavior and, and innovate on it, make it better, and say, here's how the current you know, data set is around someone's emotional state, and then improve it, and then how can we create a set of values and rules of like the highest ideals of humanity and create an AI program that can almost coach AI to have values as well? Because the AI will also need a coach. Like there needs to be a Tony Robbins algorithm or a you know, Brendan or a Mastin or a whoever algorithm for AI because otherwise, you know, without values for AI, AI will just has the potential to go crazy and kind of, you know, outgrow any type of, you know, use for us and kind of destroy us. So what I'm most interested in is how to take the current data set and use it as a way to improve it, which is no different than what Tony says, see things as they are and make it better than they are. But we need to have algorithms that do that. And then we also need algorithms coaching the algorithms that we're creating so they don't destroy us. Like, so, so all of that's like inner work. It's not colonizing Mars, which is awesome. You know, we'll never get to Mars if, you know, we implode first. Does that make sense? No, totally, totally. And, and, and well, I, I'm trying to uh, like. Let me see if I can find the darn thing because um, I want to. I want to quote it exactly the way that I uh, um, said it. If I can find this. Um, in the meantime, Dean, you are welcome to. As I sit here, and, like, uh, <laughs> I'll look okay, for it. No, I'm. Uh, oh no, that's not it. I'm looking through my. Uh, uh, you know, while, while you got to love technology. 
Back in the day, you could never look at a, a freaking uh, keynote or PowerPoint presentation while simultaneously doing a podcast. And I'm trying to actually find multitask. This, yeah, at the same time, which is yeah, but I uh, I'll have to. It might take me a little bit, but well, so here, and I'll get, I'll come back to it because I I am going to find this. But um, Matt, well, one real, of the things that we had to talk to Matt about was because I love how you're you know there's very careful choosing of the words that you use like functional life coaching is very different than uh than just the way that most people look at it you know um and we were talking earlier about success and one of the things that we always like to get to is like how do you define success what's what's your definition because success is one of those broad general um general words yes i mean the way that i would define success is um, very simple in definition, but I think very difficult in actual execution, which is living your life consistently with emotional uh, wealth. That's it. If I can mm-hmm. be emotionally wealthy consistently, then I'm successful. Um, and however that manifests externally uh, is fine because the primary goal is, is the emotional state that you're going for. And mm-hmm. the thing is, that doesn't mean that you're going to sit around and be in a cave and meditating the rest of your life because mm-hmm. there's, you know, you'll learn that there's certain emotions that you want to feel and then there's certain things you've got to do to do that. And once you grow into it, you'll get satiated and you've got to keep growing. So there will always be growth, but you've got to go for the, the, the emotional state primarily. And whatever follows that for me is, is the name of the game. And you know, I'm someone who wants to be able to have that be associated with both financial success, career success, and fulfillment. I don't think it's like you have to be rich and mad and angry or, you know, broke and happy. I think you can definitely have mm-hmm. it all. I just think, you know, it's a harder it's a harder journey. So for mm-hmm. me, emotional wealth is first and foremost. And emotional wealth with financial wealth, I think that would be awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, and no, that's how, totally. Go ahead, dude. Yeah, I mean, you would call that maybe of, of happiness, I guess, right? Yeah, or, more or less. I mean, yeah, I mean, really emotional. Yeah. yeah. But you're happy because happy is different than content. Yeah, yeah. I think I think a lot of people like to overcomplicate things. I think that's one right. pattern of delay that I see. Like people think you have to have some PhD, uh, you know, quantum physics answer for everything, and there needs to be this like whole like explanation. And I think yeah. I'm a big believer in Occam's razor, which is like all things being equal. Typically, yeah. the simplest answer is the correct answer. And right. I think ultimately, emotionally, that's the name of the game. And the finances yeah. can definitely be there, but the emotions should be there first. Something that was really, Joe talked about it a little bit earlier, The um, something that was really impactful for me was going through a process of defining success at, in the present tense, like saying, um, I, I don't know if you know who Thomas Leonard was, but Thomas was one of the founders of, of coaching, um, had started Coach University and, and was very prolific. Um, and I get to work with him, um, you know, in the nineties, early two thousands. And one of the things that we worked on was defining success in it's in present form. So how do we say, instead of like an aspirational destination for success, how do we express it as I know I'm being successful. And so, yeah, so we it was basically an exercise of of filling in the sentence, I know I'm being successful when. And that allowed you to kind of 
go into the future or to go, uh, you know, press the accelerator pedal and see like, what will it look like? So you know that what you can get there rather than uh, just it constantly being a pursuit out in the future or a destination. Because the only things you can experience in the present are, are being. So I know I'm That's being right. successful when, uh, and however you define that, it's uh, it's such a great exercise. I, I love that. And one of the things I love most about that, Dean, is that most people I talk to, when you ask them what they want, they talk about what they don't want. And then mm-hmm. when, you, when you call them on it, you say, well, what, and then it gets into, I don't know. Right. <laughs> Typically. And if I were to say to you, hey, you know, where do Higgs bosons come from and how do they relate to the general theory of relativity and quantum physics? You might say, I don't know. and Exactly. (laughs) And the answer would be, I don't know, and I would believe you. But when it comes to, like, what do you want to do with your life, and you say, I don't know, I call bullshit because I know that you know and you know that I know, but it's scary to admit it. And when people admit what they want in the present tense, it's literally like, like what they actually want in the present tense. It's literally an emotional experience for them because there's so much in them about all the doubts and the fears and the blocks that, that, that come up for them to even declare what they want. And, you know, I work with 99% women, which is weird because I'm a six foot five, you know, white guy from Kansas who grew up in the upper middle class and one of the most unlikely people to work with mostly women. But, you know, especially for women to speak up and declare this is what I want in relationship to me and not in relationship to somebody else is a huge, huge deal. Like it takes sometimes you know, some significant coaching to get that into a normal uh, routine. So stating in the positive present tense, and then as you're saying, you know, with the behavior level on there, I think is amazing. And it's, it, it sounds so simple, but I've, what I've seen, it's very difficult, very difficult for people to, to do that naturally at first. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. Amazing. Oh, hey, let me, let me mention, um, the, just let me kind of go on the sidetrack here. To, Did I you actually, find what you're looking for? I, I found it. I found it. And yes. I, I just think it's a great quote. My buddy, uh, which you master war friends with Michael Fishman. Um, he, he's the one that actually first turned me on to this quote. It's from a guy named Noah Smith. who's a writer for Bloomberg. And the quote is 15 years ago, the internet was an escape from the real world. Now the real yeah. world is an escape from the internet. Oh my God. That's so good. Oh my yeah. God. I love that. And so it's, it's like in, in your, what would you recommend to Mastin? Mastin what would you recommend to Mastin? Uh, what would you recommend, Mastin, for people that are addicted to the stimulations, to the technology? I mean, I look at addiction as a solution. Uh, if yeah, you think the world is flat, you're going to interact with a flat world. If you think the world is round, you're going to interact with a round world. And addiction, it's not a very good solution for many things. It can kill you. Yeah. It can destroy many parts of your life. It can be very painful. Uh, however, if you are wanting to numb out, if you're wanting to escape, it works. If it, and it, and it can be a solution if it doesn't kill you. But unfortunately, it has very dire consequences. And so obsession uh, in anything, uh, deprivation, um, uh, excess, I mean, those are all elements of things that we would put under the umbrella of addiction. And there are so many people that cannot function without staring at computer screens before they go to bed, as soon as they wake mm-hmm. up in the morning throughout the day. Yep. I mean, we live in a very, the world has changed so drastically in the last decade. And as we all mentioned, there's incredible things that come from technology, but there's also ways that people get enslaved by it. And it's not about the technology. It goes back to the nervous system because that's what you're 
your whole premises here. So what would you say for someone to start on this path to, you know, unraveling and taking your life experience? How could they, uh, what could they learn from, from you that would save them, you know, hours, days, weeks, months, and potentially lead them on the path to get to a, just an amazing life? Sure. Well, um, I think that it's the willingness to make this, like what we're talking about, a lifestyle and not a quick fix. That's okay. going to be huge. And I think the fastest way to get the result, and I learned this from Tony, is this idea of immersion with spaced repetition. You know, and so I'm a big believer in like immersion. That's why, you know, I come, for example, to Genius Network or I go to Jeff Walker's Mastermind or, you know, I have my own retreats and stuff like that. We even have team retreats consistently because I want to be like away from stuff, focused and doing consistent pattern interrupts throughout the year. Uh, one, because I need support, because as you know, the entrepreneurial journey or life in general is expansions and contractions, and you really need the support when you're in a contraction. Um, that's been huge for me to have that support. But to design pattern interrupts in your in your year where you are not immersed, and like in some of our retreats, we even take away people's technology for like seven to 11 days where they can't even touch it. Um, and people are like, don't even want it back when they're done. Wow. I think Can you imagine? Is, yeah. Oh, no, you should see the look on their face when we take their phone. They like, it's like I, we're cutting I off. I can't their even arm. imagine. Yeah. Like, when we give it back, they're like, I don't want it. I go, guys, the headlines have been the same for the last 11 days. Some shit happened that wasn't so cool. And you're going to disagree with it. That's about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> like that's what happened. Nothing different. Uh, there was a couple natural disasters and people are still freaking out, but you just made progress for 11 days. And I think it stems from this idea of FOMO, which I know you guys know a lot about, the fear of missing out. It's like yeah. there's this thing that like, I have to be responsible to pay attention to what's going on. The problem is the way that I read about what's going on is sent from media companies who want my eyeballs so they position it. Yeah, I know you guys know a lot about positioning copy. Like marketing copy in the news world is all about doom and gloom and keep the eyeballs stuck to some impending doom and make it look like an accident and as worse as possible. So yeah. I think you've got to have that immersion with spaced repetition And that's something I learned from Tony, and I I, I found him to be 100% correct, because when you have immersion, you know, that's why we do retreats and seminars, and that's why we take away people's phones, because when you have that immersion with, um, with, with, and you space it out over a period of time, that's how you make those really big leaps forward. And the, the thing I've started to do, and Joe, I know you're doing this too, is, you know, not just going to an immersion experience, but adding on a day or two in a head so that you can kind of settle where you are. Um, and then adding on a day or two at the end to actually implement maybe what you've learned or what you've contemplated. So you don't just get on a plane and, and go home or just travel and go home, but you actually take some time to implement. I think, you know, immersion with some implementation time consistently will expedite your results exponentially. And you've got to be around people who are also, you know, doing that. And, then, you know, that's one of the things that, I mean, this is not an ad for Genius Network. It's just true. When I'm in proximity, to the people that who are in Genius Network, it's like I am probably one of the most insignificant as far as successful people goes in the room, and everybody in that room inspires me. It's the definition of not being the smartest person in the room. So I also think that you've got to be able to raise your game about who your peer group is, so that you know you can you can you know kind of go whoa like the success I want not only is possible now I feel behind versus is that really possible for me? So if you're immersing yourself, you're taking some time to implement. You're you know going on technology detoxes over a period of time. I think you're going to see a lot of success a lot faster than just like an hour of coaching a week, you know, on Zoom, where you're kind of still on Facebook while you're getting coaching. <laughs> right, 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 yeah, halfway, right. 
<laughs> no, that that's really great, and, th- and thank you for the kind words, of course. On it's true, it's it's a hundred percent true. Well, you know, um, boy, in your in your book, you talk about listening to your heart, and yep. that sounds just on the surface. So, listening to my heart, uh, I, I want to ask you why is this so powerful? Because I I think. You know, there's a lot of um, lip service that things like that get, but I really, I mean, you're you're really good at describing the importance sure. of some things that I think people may look at, you know, out foo foo or whatever. But I sure. mean, you you've kind of been there, done that sort of thing. So, what does that mean? Yeah, it's a great question, and thank you for asking it. Um, so, uh, similar to how meditation used to be seen as sort of foo foo and woo woo and weird, you know. I think people are getting that meditation is a performance tool. Um, and I would say that listening to your heart is probably the ultimate performance tool. And meditation is one of the pathways to get there. But that's one of the things I teach in the book. And I have a whole experience. Um, and I have literally have a retreat called Enter the Heart where I, I take people into a deep, deep, deep experience of this. But basically, your heart, um, literally your heart, and there's science to back this up from heart math and many other places, has its own nervous system. Um, and you know emits electromagnetic frequencies that are far times you know far stronger than the brain and the gut, um, and it has its own level of intelligence. And we're learning now that the organs talk to the heart. Um, so literally, like literally, your heart um, is the center of some significant intelligence in the body that we have yet to fully comprehend. What I know experientially, I was actually strange tangent, but I went to uh, Sarah Lawrence College. Uh, once where uh, not like I attended it, like I just went there for the day. Um, and the reason why I went there is because Joseph Campbell taught there. And I literally found like some of his old files. Like there's a whole, you can go there and like look up his files and you see these files and his syllabuses and his handwriting. And one wow. of the things I saw in, in there, yeah, it's really cool. Um, and I went up there and one of the things I saw uh, was he wrote down um, the purpose of the journey, the hero's journey, is for the heart to usher the mind into the zone of revelation. And I thought that was really nice and poetic, and I started contemplating it. And what I realized is, like, what if that was literally true? And then I realized, like, oh, my God, like, you know, every, every neuroscientist is telling us that this, the body is a subconscious mind. Heart math and many other co- scientists are telling us that the heart has a, a whole intelligence system that we're not quite able to comprehend yet uh, that's, that's far advanced and that the subconscious is 40,000 times more powerful than the conscious mind. Fear in the amygdala is in the brain. And that wisdom, that body intelligence, which is a whole emerging field called whole body intelligence that teaches you how to talk, like how to listen to your body to get the answers. And you know, there's examples of healing miracles like Chris Carr, for example, who you know hasn't healed herself of cancer, but she's outlived her doctor's prognosis by a significant period of time and is thriving in spite of having cancer. That comes from body intelligence. So there's a, a tremendous wisdom in the body that we're starting to understand. And what I've found is the center of that wisdom is literally your heart, and you can literally have a communication with it, and it can literally tell you what to do. You could call it intuition. You could call it your higher self. You could call it your heart. Um, but this is, this is not just foo-foo, woo-woo stuff. Like, this is the cutting-edge neuroscience and the cutting-edge, um, you know, uh, just sort of whole-body intelligence field. And I've been training people on this for probably about seven years. And it, they make great, amazing center decisions. When people say they followed their heart and they got burned, what they really mean is they followed their codependency, they followed their addictive patterns and got burned. Because when you follow your heart, your heart speaks very basically to you, you know, you're worth more than this. Leave, get out of here. You know, like it's a very 
it, it, you always know, and uh, so many times people, I know probably anyone listening to this, this right now, if you're still listening, <laughs> um, <laughs> is, it has had an experience of literally knowing what they should have done, not doing it, and then kicking themselves for knowing the answer and then not doing it. And all of that wisdom is stored in the heart. And so following your heart is like probably one of the best predictive uh, success things that you could do, but it will make you make decisions that are not logically uh, minded. They're very illogical. You know, you know, Steve Jobs talks about intuition. Albert Einstein talks about intuition. This is the center of that in the body, and it's literally true. Wow. Literally true. That is pretty badass, Dean. What, do you, what are your thoughts on that? I, I don't even know what to say. Well, you shouldn't say anything because there's nothing you could say that would sound better than that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, that was fantastic. Uh, so, obviously, get in touch with, uh, with, with you know, and look, to not, to not just be joking here. Well, we run. I will say this. We, we tend to, we're wired now to run from that. And it's yep. so easy to, we're, we're looking to fill every moment of, of silence with our phones or with, you know, whenever there's any opportunity to sit and contemplate. I mean, when we're driving, we're filling that space with, with uh, the radio or podcasts or when we're, uh, you know, every moment. I mean, we'll wake up first thing right on the devices. No, no time to just kind of ground. I found it, you know, it was really interesting when we had, uh, when we had, JP, um, uh, John Paul DeGioia on the, um, no, on the podcast, you know, he said he starts out every morning just with about, you know, 10 or 15 minutes is laying in bed, getting acclimated, grounding without ever before he even gets up. And so often our first thing is, is waking up and then reaching for the, the, uh, phone, you know? Seeing what's what's what you missed since you got up to pee at three in the morning, you know. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's last, well, you know, your I, last check in. I would say to people, you know, it's like we, it's in, it's it's sad, but we're often like attached to these phones, like they're oxygen tanks, you know. Yep. No, it's like it's like what Bassett was saying earlier. I mean, most people treat their phones like a like a, a limb, you know. I mean, yeah. If you, you lose if you're without. You're not within 20 feet of your phones. Like, oh my God, I'm like, what's going on? Exactly. Yeah. I told a story like when I was 10 years old, when some of the worst shit in my life was happening to me uh, in Alpine, Texas. I, you know, that was just a bad sort of time of my childhood. And on weekends, I would go off into these open fields for hours by myself, like Mm. literally just walking you know, in these fields for miles, no phone, no access to any communication, looking at wilderness and just out there throwing rocks around and having a slingshot and shooting shit. And yeah, but there'd be no, it's like most adults in the middle of a city feel naked if they don't have a phone on them. And oh, you know, yeah. I, I, I do TM, I do transcendental meditation. Uh, when I'm doing well, I do it twice a day, 20 minutes, two times a day. And this morning, you know, I keep my phone outside of my room. I, if mm-hmm. I have to set an arm, I can still hear it. And 
basically I wake up and I do not turn my phone on uh, and I meditate for 20 minutes. And I'll tell you, like if, if I go to, you know, streets to where I'm not doing it, because over since I got trained in TM, which is probably maybe four and a half years ago. Yeah. Uh, I literally I've gone in stages where I'm like, I, I, I don't do it or I'll go, you know, a few days without doing it. And it's like what you were saying, Mastin, about fitness, where you just do it consistently. When I do it consistently, as if you do anything consistently, uh, you're going to feel a certain way. You're going to get certain results. And I think life is a series of you're on track. And then if you get off track, what gets you back on track? And if you've never been on track, I think the purpose of this conversation is to help people who have gotten off track to get back on track. And if you've never even felt like you've been on track, what can you do? And that's why we're uh, having this conversation with someone like Mastin, because that's what he helps humans do. The thing with uh, with waking up, like you're saying, I mean, it's it's a ritual. And if I yeah. look at my phone first thing in the morning, talk about having someone else's agenda, the world's agenda, that you know, that's the real <laughs> right. there's the real world, and then there's the world that you know can be manufactured by what we look at and. Marketing today, I've been telling all of our Genius Network members, I mean, marketing today is algorithms, what Mastin has mentioned many times. I mean, you're being fed exactly what your likes, your friends, what you read. I mean, you are being tracked and, you know, it's this whole conversation about free will. I mean, you're being fed exactly what your behavior is is demonstrating and there are machines that are learning and you're, you understand you in many ways, far more than you understand yourself. And if you don't manage modern life, modern life will manage you. And I think a lot of people are just caught up in that machine, which I think a conversation like this is so important right now to have. And I think it's so yeah. important to look at because we are seeing addictions going through the roof with all of the abundance, all of the choices, all the amazing things. There are so many humans that are unhappy. There are so many humans that are under the influence. I mean, I think one in five, if not more, women in America are on uh, antidepressants. And right. we are a culture, you know, it's the first time in human history where more people are dying of uh, overeating than of starvation. And so, you know, That's shit's true. a little crazy right now. So, I mean, I think what... So anyway, uh, Mastin, I don't know what your time schedule is because I think you're you're in New York right now, right? I'm in New York right now, chilling, but I got I got plenty of time, so I'm I'm here. <laughs> okay, cool. So we'll go. We'll just go a few more minutes because I want to. I want to give. I, this is a really, really uh, great to do this uh, do this episode with you, and I'd like to ask. Uh, I'd like to ask you a couple more things, and I, I do want people to go out and read your book, and then give us their feedback on what they got out of it. Um, so, what what's the difference between setting goals, having a mission? and creating a vision. Uh, I mean, I know you talk about these things, and I was recently at my friend, uh, Professor B.J. Fogg from Stanford. Uh, I was actually at his home with uh, 10 other people, uh, some people from the Gates Foundation, uh, Jason uh, Corman and Jessica from Gapey Void, my assistant Eunice, uh, Michael Fishman, and we were literally going through his whole behavioral model, and he doesn't even really like the word goal. He likes the to think of it as outcomes, but as a marketing sure. thing, you know, it's really hard not to, I mean, people resonate with goals, but you know, you out of uh, anyone, I'd love to hear your perspective on, yeah, what's the difference between setting a goal or creating a mission or having a vision? I mean, what do all these things mean? Sure. 
great, great. And I love, I love BJ. He's awesome. And, you know, I mean, one of the things that he talks about too is like motivation um, and what makes somebody motivated. And one of the things I've found is that like, you can do these things where like you psych yourself up for a period of time to like get into something. But what I, what I believe creates long-term motivation, like sustained unending motivation is purpose. Cause when you know why you're doing something like you'll finish your sets at the gym or you'll put down the sugar or you'll follow through and, you know, do whatever it is that you said that you were going to do. Because when you have motivation, motivation is sort of short term. Uh, but when you have purpose, purpose is something, a reason why that's something that will give you long-term systemic motivation to overcome obstacles consistently. It's what Viktor Frankl said, you know, when you have a deep enough why, you can overcome any how, essentially. So what I think creates long-term motivation uh, even beyond, uh, you know, the, the neurochemicals uh, is purpose for sure. Like, you know, like if you have purpose, like somehow I bet your body will come into alignment with your neurotransmitters. Um, and so, so a goal or outcome is an important thing, but you have to have context for why you're doing it. If you're setting a goal just because you want to make a million dollars, well, you won't follow through either because it's too big a goal, you don't really care, or when you get there, you won't really be satisfied. But if you know why you're doing something, um, you know, it gives you context. I'm going to make a million dollars so that my family will be financially free and, and, and taken care of for the rest of their life. That's a different driver. So, but, you, but before you have a purpose, you have to have a, a sort of some type of, well, I shouldn't say before you have a purpose. Purpose is sort of like the top of the pile. Once you have what you, you know what your purpose is, then you can have a, whatever the mission is, which is how you bring it to life. And so I'll give you an example. So my purpose, ultimately, the emotions that I want to feel are belonging and excitement. So I'm all about creating and generating belonging and excitement for myself and in service to others. Like that's what I'm all about. And the mission that I have for me personally and for my career and for our company is to put an end, like my major transformative idea is to end emotional trauma in this lifetime. Because I think if you can end emotional trauma, then a lot of other things will change for the better. And so that, that's sort of what the mission is. And the vision is then like, well, what has to happen for you to actually pull that shit off? <laughs> right. mm-hmm. Like what, what the product's programs are going to be. And then you have to take that, and all of us on this podcast, like the three of us, are all big vision guys. And we probably have a lot of people around us who help us actually implement and that's what a goal is. A goal is like, great, I'm glad you had this cool purpose. I'm glad you got your big old mission. I'm glad that you had the vision for like whatever it is that you wanted. And no one on this podcast thinks small, so there's usually big freaking things you want to do. The outcome or the goal is like what has to happen very pragmatically in the next 30 days or 90 days, like those rocks, right, from traction and during harness. Like what are those rocks, those specific outcomes that you have to do to actually make it happen and then what do you got to do to bring it to life? And then you have to let yourself know and you got to let your team know, but not just what to do. You have to let them know the bigger stuff because that's going to attract the right talent. That's going to make them stay up later. That's what's going to make them push and go further. You know, our team knows that everything we do is about ending emotional trauma. So they're going to, you know, reply back one more time, you know, to that customer service email, even though it's late, or they're going to go the extra distance on a launch, or they're going to help support me when I'm doing a press tour because they know like what they're doing. It's not just in service of my ego, who cares about me? We're in service of something larger, which gives you the juice to pull off the implementation. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally, totally. You know, it, it, it makes total sense. So for the person that's out there, uh, and there's many things that could hold people back. I mean, heck, if you have your buy, 
biochemistry in your body thrown off and you're not <laughs> you're not producing enough happy chemicals you can be miserable even though you may be doing r- right things and then there's the things right. you can you can control you know you uh, to to a degree and there's other things that are going to require work so in terms of things that are limitations uh, there may be a better word for that uh fear uh as an example i mean uh like what are the best strategies or techniques that you've discovered for overcoming or embracing fear because i would imagine if someone wants to they're inspired by what we're saying and certain things are holding them back do you think fear is the number one thing and I know there is no number one because when you get under it all, you can f- discover all kinds of things that could be causing someone uh, to, to to not take a step towards a good direction. I just want to speak to fear, though, because I know a lot of people, fear can be called many different sure. things. It could be shame. It could be uh, it could be guilt. It could be just simply not even having the capabilities and realistically being wide. Yeah, I'd like to go try to get that job, or I'd really like to shoot that video. Or I'd really like to ask that woman or that man out on a date. But there's something that's holding them back, and so I'd love yeah. to get your perspective on it. Well, sure, and I think you know, especially the word fear. I mean, think about the Greeks, right? The Greeks had multiple words for love. You know, they had eros, they had agape, they had like up to seven or eight words for love because eros, which is more like sexual love, is very different than like agape, which is like unconditional love, which was why when I was very confused in my early 20s, a girl would look at me and go, I love you. I'm like confused why she's not having sex with me. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> I was like, in the friend zone, you know what I mean? Like, so like we can use the same word and have very different meanings. So I think it's sort of, fear is another way of, of there should be multiple words of fear and meanings for fear because you can't just have one because you know if i'm a, if i'm a marine and i'm on the front lines in afghanistan fear is an appropriate response um if i'm an entrepreneur and i'm going live on facebook for the first time fear is an appropriate response because i'm being seen but it doesn't mean it should stop us so ultimately we have to understand there's a couple different types of fear one's that necessary fear of like oh my gosh i'm on the front lines i got to pay attention here but then there's the irrational fear which the psychiatrist psychologist would call neurotic behavior or neuroses, which is just defined as basically irrational, unconscious fear. But I don't think it's actually irrational because if you trace back to someone's root trauma, it's the perfect response or coping mechanism, as you would say, Joe, or solution to that root cause trauma. So neurotic behavior actually isn't neurotic at all. It's actually very uh, appropriate based on the root cause trauma. So we have to understand that it's actually our interpretation of fear that will give us um, either a power or help us stay stuck. And so sometimes, like I talk to people with, quote, anxiety, right? And Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, well, let's talk about that. Well, I don't know, I'm just anxious. Well, let's look at your life. Are you living your purpose? Are you happy? Are you in a toxic relationship? How's your gut health? How's your brain health? Are you in a soul-sucking job? Because if you're in a soul-sucking job and a toxic relationship, anxiety would be the appropriate response to that condition. And the last thing you want to do is numb that anxiety with like Xanax or you know medical marijuana because you're anxious. It's like no, you need 10 milligrams of courage today. <laughs> right. <laughs> to leave That's your soul fucking job and to leave your toxic relationship. And and you know, Joe, check this out. I'll give you a very practical example. I had one of my clients who was depressed. I sent her to the aiming clinics, and her psychiatrists were giving her drugs that were treating the healthy part of her brain. So the aiming clinic said, you know, don't take this, take this. 
and her health improved. However, over the next three, four, five months, she was still had low-level depression. So we said, okay, what's next? And she was still in a toxic, soul-sucking job. And so as soon as she left the soul-sucking job, guess what? She felt better. So like hmm. no SSRI, no biohack can replace like being in a soul-sucking job or being in a toxic relationship. You've got to actually take the courageous, imperfect action to you know, change your circumstances. So there's a, it's a multifaceted approach, but sometimes anxiety and fear is actually the appropriate response to what's happening. And if you start to ask some questions, like when was the last time a doctor asked you, are you living your purpose? But yet the latest mm-hmm. data shows that like purpose can extend your life by up to 10 years. All the blue zones where are areas in the world where centenarians are higher proportion, all the centenarians have a sense of purpose. But it's through facing those fears and through recognizing that anxiety is sometimes the appropriate response that you can get out of it. So instead of saying, <laughs> I'm anxious, give me a pill, it's like, no, I'm anxious, take some courageous action and do some shit in face of fear because that's going to help you long term. Because most people, if you really look at clinical depression, most people who have depression aren't clinically depressed, they're chronically repressed. And repression tends to lead to depression, which is why purpose is really about expressing those emotional states in the form of speaking up, you know, creative projects, businesses, and relationships and stuff like that. That's so so funny. I heard a comedian talking about how, uh, we're supposed to feel anxiety because that's how the rent gets paid. Right? Exactly. It's supposed to feel anxious and spur you into action to do something right. to get out of the situation. He said, if our caveman ancestors had access to the pharmaceuticals, we had the last thought of the last man <laughs> on earth would have been, wow, that tiger looks like he's about to run up on me. That's right. Amen. You know? 100%. <laughs> Amen. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, yes, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah. You know, you, you, that's a really interesting uh, line also, you know, much of it's not depressed. It's just chronically repressed. And right. uh, like uh, my friend, Dr. Gabor Mate, who I'm actually interviewing uh, on stage at this year's genius network annual yeah. event. I mean, he, he's, he's very much about repressed, repressed emotions. He said, you know, when people uh, have repressed or suppressed emotions that are continuous, uh, there's two things that happen. They either develop a, a sickness or a disease, or they develop an addiction as a coping mechanism. And yeah. that's so much of what happens. So, uh, okay, w- one question I have to ask you related to um, time. All of us are in a situation in our life where we've put ourselves out there opportunities are all around us continuously. Lots of, uh, you know, in my case, Tom's disease, terrified of missing shit, another way of saying FOMO. <laughs> and, uh, you know, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of options. And when you have a thousand options, you don't have any options, as our friend Richard Rossi says, uh, Dean. And so what are the five elements of a purpose-driven schedule that you talk about? Because I'd I'd love to ha- get your frame of reference of not just what do you say yes and no to and how do you you know how do you set up your your schedule how do you set up your life but you you come at everything from the place of purpose driven yes. which I think is a whole nother distinction versus let's just get up today and try to do shit and try to make money and so if you could talk about totally. that 
Yeah, I mean, look, I'm a big believer in the quantified self world. Dave Asprey wrote the foreword to the book. Um, I, I love biohacks and goal setting and productivity. Like, I love all that stuff in context to why are you doing it, right? If you're doing it to stay, stay up with the trends or if you're doing it um, because you think you're at a deficit or if you're doing it from some place of insecurity, it's just going to be like a trend that you, you know, like I wear my, my blue blocking glasses literally, I know we're talking about it earlier, like every dang night to help go to bed. So you gotta, when you have a context or a purpose as to why you're doing what you're doing, then setting up a schedule has a little bit of a different way of looking at it because, you know, regardless of how successful you are, you got to look at your schedule. And I think Dan Sullivan even makes people ask this question, which is like, does this bring me energy or drain my energy? And so I kind of look at that and think, okay, what are the top emotions I want to generate? For me, it's, you know, um, belonging and excitement. Those are, those are nurturing and excitement. Those are huge for me. So it's like, does this schedule, for me, it's like, does my schedule nurture me? Me, first and foremost. Not does my schedule nurture everyone on it, but is this a nurturing schedule? And if the answer is no, it's like, well, what do I got to do to make my schedule nurturing? And so what I had to do and look at that is like I had my schedule kind of all scattered. And for example, you know, I get up, do some work, work out a little bit later in the day, have some daily huddles and kind of have like kind of a, this, this schedule that was based on what other people needed. And I said, you know what? No, like I, I asked myself the Joe Polish question. If I was the million dollar racehorse, like what would I do? Right. And I said, mm. oh my God, I have to completely change my schedule around to nurture myself. I have to wake up. I got to meditate. I got to do my morning cardio. I got to hit the gym. I got to have a healthy breakfast. I got to like stretch out. Then I can be creative for three or four hours, do my deep work, Cal Newport style. And then after that, I can come to like a team huddle excited to be on there because I've taken care of myself. I've nurtured myself. I've expressed myself for the day. And so I'm not going to be holding on to these resentments with my team or vendors or partners that like, oh my God, why am I on this call right now? I should be writing. I've already set myself up to win based on what I need. So it's really about figuring out on an emotional level, you know, they talk about, you know, scheduling your priorities. Well, your priorities aren't priorities based on what other people want. There's a great quote that like your was it like your emergency doesn't mean it's mine too. <laughs> right, <laughs> right, yeah. Needs to be done urgently. So it's really about setting your schedule up to cre- help you consciously create what has to happen for me to feel the way that I want to feel all day long. And, you know, that means that I actually have not that much time for other people. So when I do have time for other people and I say yes to stuff, it's much more meaningful. Part of unconditional love is boundaries so that when I say yes to something, I can actually really give myself fully to it and actually show up. I'm not someone who's going to say, yeah, I'll promote your thing and then not show up. Like, I'm going to put my whole heart and soul into it. But you've got to have those boundaries in place. And I've found, Joe um, and Dean, that's been harder for me to do as I become more successful because I find myself saying no to, like, really successful people sometimes. And that's weird because I have that same disease where I don't want to miss out on something. But I've noticed that as I kind of stay in that nurturing lane and that excited lane, I take good care of myself, that the opportunities are there. And what I also realized was I had to change my mindset. And Joe, you've been a great teacher in this for me over the years, is, you know, the reason why I was scared of missing out is because I thought it was a one-time transaction. But also part of nurturing myself is creating relationships with people that are nurturing. So it's not just transaction-based relationships. It's just relationships where there's really great flow and great love and great connection. And then transactions are, are sort of a byproduct of that versus a kind of get, you know, tit for tat thing. And I've had to like purge my life of a lot of people who sort of fit that transactional level and take a step back and set some boundaries. And, you know, some great support has come in 
as a result of that. But I think it's you got to put yourself first, which I know is kind of a basic idea. But a lot of people don't put themselves first. They put their team first. They put you know successful opportunities first. They put all this other stuff first, and they just get adrenal fatigue and burn out. I've I've been there. Didn't don't want to do that anymore. And uh, you know, really just ask myself what has to happen for me to be nurtured today. And I'm on this press tour right now. And there's other things I've had to do, like landing and getting you know chi- you know chiropractic work or myofascial release or aromatherapy or like making sure I'm like an Airbnb right next to a gym so I can get my needs met that way. I have a, I have a, a desk that I bring with me into the gym so I can do like blogging and writing while I'm on my treadmill. So like, there's lots of things I do to feel nurtured <laughs> all day long, you know, but it, 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 and it's kind of that million dollar racehorse mindset uh, from an emotional perspective, essentially. No, wow. I love it. I, I love it. That That's, uh, you, you know, there's, this this is a a good uh, a good demonstration of I mean there's so much value that you have shared on perspectives and strategies and ways to frame things and look at things that uh, I, I really and I want to say to our listeners you know me and Dean uh, have never yet not that we won't do it in the future we just we we don't do a very good job of monetizing our podcast, meaning there are people that offer us money to sponsor it. We don't do it because we've not yet done a pay to play sort of thing with our podcast. And there's, we don't, you know, cleverly like try to set up everyone that we interview into an affiliate program. So if they sell anything, we get a part of it. I mean, we, we, uh, we, we do interviews with people that we think have really valuable stuff to share and we don't, you know, there's no affiliate thing. And, And what I would like, so I just want people to know that, that we, want to bring it's really people knowledge. we want to talk to yeah exactly and, <laughs> and so you know i i really hope that you could that you do read Mastin's book and pick up a copy immediately of uh claim your power and also if you want a real treat go see him speak live if you have an opportunity to ever go to one of his workshops uh he's amazing on stage and gives so much value and people love him and you, you won't really get it until you actually are in the room because he's really good at what he does and he really cares and he really does connect uh, deeply with people and we're all big on connection i mean the opposite of, a, of addiction is connection and the more that you can connect with yourself it's really hard to connect with others if you can't first connect with yourself and i think there's a, that's a good way to, to 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 look at what he does and so so Mastin, is there anything that we me and dean or i have not asked you that we should have asked you uh, or anything that you'd like to talk about before we wrap this up. And then sure. I'd love to have you give out uh, places where people can follow you if they want to subscribe to your newsletter and just, you know, get into your world. Uh, what what didn't we ask you that we should have? That's a great question. First of all, Joe, thank you for that. I know, you, I know that you're in proximity to a lot of coaches and speakers, so I appreciate uh, those very, very kind and, and generous words. Um, I think the only other thing I'd want to say is, you know, there's this whole focus on like morning routine, which I think is highly valuable. Like, I think your morning routine is really important. And, you know, Robin Sharma uh, has kind of popularized this idea of the 5 a.m. club. And uh, I'm actually a part of the the 4 a.m. club. So this 5 a.m. club is like a lunchtime thing. But, um, (laughs) but, 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 um, no, I'm just messing. But I do get up really early. But, but I think the thing that creates the, the ability to have a really solid morning routine is how you spend your evenings. And so I think that um, my primary focus is on like really on like a really great nighttime routine to wind down, you know, like putting on those uh, blue blocking glasses to turn on, you know, the melatonin production to try to go to bed the same time every day to get into that circadian rhythm. There's a lot of data out about, you know, circadian rhythms and how important they are 
Um, you know, sleep is like, without sleep, nothing else is really, and sleep is probably my number one most important habit. Um, but getting to bed on time, and, and the, the last thing I'll say is this, is that um, if you're in a relationship or if you're in a business, um, the best thing you can do is give yourself three to four hours before you go to bed of peace and quiet and calm and make that some really great self-care time and try to fit your time in so, so that when you get up at four or five o'clock in the morning and slackers at five, the real, those of us really get up at four. I'm just kidding. I'm just busting Robin's balls. But no, if you get up <laughs> early like that, you, know, it, you don't want to get up at 5 a.m. after being asleep at one. Like that doesn't do you any good. You know, there's no brownie points for suffering and not recovering. So I really think that like the, 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 to increase your performance, profitability, you know, quality of life, like protecting your nighttime thing, not having like not watching stressful stuff at night. And also if you're in a relationship, like having a deal with your partner where it's like, we're not going to have stressful conversations before bed because that's going to get your cortisol up. You're going to get your, your you're going to dump out, you know, all kinds of crazy adrenaline into your body and just making sure that you protect your nighttime routine will set you up to have great sleep. It'll set you up to have a really killer morning routine. And if you're in a partnership business wise or uh, an emotional partnership with like a, you know, a loved one, a soulmate to just, you know, do your work on your relationship, but just kind of you know, have, a, have a sacred sort of understanding around a bedtime and to then do what, you know, um, Cal Newport rep- uh, recommends, which is, you know, dump out all your open loops before bed so that you can literally not have to hold that stuff while you're sleeping, I think is huge for living your purpose because I think rest is like so underrated. Um, and, you know, we're, we're no longer at a time where I think smart people are bragging about how much sleep they didn't get. I think we're starting to brag about how much sleep we did get. But protecting yeah. that nighttime routine is just so huge. I love it. I love it. Yeah, and you know, even setting a alarm clock of when to go to bed and when to cut it off. Start is, that process. Know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people, you know, they have an alarm clock to wake up, blaring them up from their fatigue because they had no routine the night before. So I think what you're sharing there, that is like one huge thing. Yeah. You know, it, it's what kind of we talk about genius network is how do you like an elegant one elegant idea is worth more than a thousand semi good ideas uh, there's an yep. elegant solution for everything if you are willing to dwell deeply enough in order to find it sometimes it's obvious and it's right there other times you, you know you may have to do a lot of ex- excavation but it's like what's one thing that if you solve this one thing would solve a hundred other things and those are the things that that uh, Mastin has been talking about here. I mean, even what you just shared, if you, you know, take three to four hours, you know, to create some peace and calm before you, you shut it down, not watching stressful stuff at night. I mean, if you just did that one thing for some people that would solve a hundred other totally. aggravating things that are happening in their life. So, those are the things that you want to work on, which again is, is I think the reason why it would make sense for people to go through your 40 day journey uh, and when you so you your book is really built around a process. Can you briefly describe the process, and then I'd love to have you explain yeah, sure. to people what the benefits are for uh, reading "Claim Your Power." Sure. Um, yeah, I'll be brief. Um, basically, I don't think the world needs another self help book. I think what I created was an implementation guide. I also gave away. Uh, a free 40-day course with it. And I, when I saw the final course, I was like, oh my God, we could totally and should have charged for this. But it, I, it, it's all free because I really want people to implement. I don't want this to be shelf help. I want it to be something where you actually do the work. And I think people have a hard time with that these days, information overload as we've discussed. So it's really just an implementation guide. Um, and that's what it's all about. Um, you can check it out over at claimyourpowerbook.com. Um, in the uh, in the, the free course, because I have dyslexia and ADD, I don't, actually don't read very well, so I consume things via audio. 
so a part of the of the course, uh, the the free course is you also get the audiobook chunked out daily as well, so that you can actually listen to it if you have a learning disability like I do, because I wouldn't want that to hold you back. Um, and the real value is to uproot a lot of the stuff that we've talked about. So if you're done with just coping, because you know there's great teachers out there who teach really high level coping strategies, which are really important. And if you do the emotional work, are then high performance, peak performance, spiritual practices. But without doing the underlying work, they're just high level coping mechanisms. So if you're kind of stuck, you're kind of frustrated, you're not going to the next level, you're not getting, you want breaking through, you really want to do the deep work, you want to be systematized in a real process, that's what that's really all about. So that you can have success and enjoy it and you can, you know, lose the weight and sustainably keep it that way or, you know, have a great relationship and not just have someone that was your soulmate that's now devil spawned. You can kind of turn it around <laughs> sustainably, wow. functionally. That's really the value there. And I'm, I wanted to set this up in a way that I could be there with you in a scalable way. I can't scale myself. That's why I created the free course. Um, and I'll, but I will be there with you every single day, coaching you through it and encouraging you and um, slightly shaming you if you, don't, if you fall off. We have, we have, we have a slight positive shameful automation built in. So if you don't open emails after <laughs> a period of time, we will, we will kind of dig at you a little bit. <laughs> That's hysterical. That's his, so, okay. And plus also, since this is I Love Marketing, uh, you know, one of the things too is y- you'd be, you, you always learn a lot by watching people's call it their sales process, call it their educational process, call it their bonding process. I mean, that's how people that have something to share with the world tell their story, share it with people as they do it in a certain way. And, you know, me and Dean have mentioned numerous times on previous episodes that, you know, sometimes you can learn a tremendous amount of marketing just by like buying stuff from people and getting on their list. And and God forbid, you might actually consume it and use it and it might make your life a lot better. So, um, yeah, so how how do people where do people go? It's claim claimyourpowerbook.com. Uh, yeah, claimyourpowerbook.com. Um it's all there depending on when you listen to this, there's some launch available bonuses and then their bonuses are going to disappear by like September 23rd or something or whatever, 24th or something like that. And then we will always have the the free course as a part of like the ongoing evergreen bonus. Uh but it'll all be there and if you're in the UK, Australia, outside the United States, it's all there too. And my only ask is because you know, like most people sell a, you know, release a book to sell a course and they kind of use it as a play. That's not my goal. I gave the course away. If you decide to you know, grab the book and go through the process, uh, it says selling your course, I gave you one. My only ask is that you leave an authentic review on Amazon because my goal is to get to 1,000 reviews on that thing. Um, mm. And we've got like 215 in like five or six days already. It's a 4.9 out of 5. So I'm not saying you can leave a five-star review. That's against Amazon's terms. But I'm not saying – I'm just saying you should leave an authentic review. And if it happens to be a five-star review, that's great. Because my number one thing is if I get 1,000 reviews, this thing will have uh, life for life. And that's really what I'm looking for is that long-term thing, not just to release a book and be a bestseller for a week. I want to do this forever, basically. <laughs> it's my mission. That's awesome. That is great. No, that that is great. And so, and I would also recommend for our listeners, please let give me indeed feedback on on what you felt about this. Share this episode with as many people. We would love that. Uh, I think it's got so much uh, great insight, and it'll be really helpful to a lot of people. And this is also a great book. I'm sure that you can think of several people in your life that would be well served to not only hear this episode, uh, but read Claim Your Power. So buy a uh, buy a, a copy for a friend that you care about and uh, exp- share the love because, you know, Mastin started with daily love and 
that's the deal. So any famous last words, Mastin? I love Joe Polish, and now I love Dean Jackson just as much as or more than I love marketing. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I love love you too, and and so this is great. So thank you so much, Mastin, as always. And to all of our listeners, we wish you a wonderful day, and we will talk to you on the next episode. So thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode of I Love Marketing. If you'd like to learn more about the Genius Network annual event, please visit GeniusNetworkEvents.com. That's GeniusNetworkEvents.com. If you'd like access to the full interview, the show notes, and the special resources for this episode, please visit ilovemarketing.com forward slash 306. That's ilovemarketing.com forward slash 306.